Mention phonics to anyone in education and you tend to kickstart a debate as to whether it should or should not be taught. It's a debate that has raged for so long that we neglect an arguably more important discussion. Most schools are already doing phonics, so how best should it be done? To answer this question and more, I spoke to Julia Carroll, Professor in the Centre for Global Learning, Education and Attainment at Coventry University and an expert in phonics. Julia, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So phonics is quite a uh, controversial topic and, and the discussion seems to centre almost always on do we do phonics or do we not? When actually every school, I mean, every school I've ever visited and my understanding is every school does teach phonics because, you know, the, the policy is set up that way and it's generally agreed in the UK at least that it's, it's, an, it's, it's the way to teach reading. Is it important that we actually move on from that discussion now and we instead look at, okay, what, how are we teaching phonics and what are we teaching in phonics? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, um, as you say, um, pretty much all schools in the UK teach using phonics now. Um, and we've, we've known for at least 20 years that phonics is the most effective um, way to teach early reading and early literacy. Um, and the government guidance has been pretty consistent on that as well. It's very explicit and very specific that we should be teaching phonics um, last and first. So right from um, early reception and we should be using the systematic synthetic phonics approach. Um, and now we have the year one phonics screen at the end of year one, which means that um, teachers and students are having that kind of assessment on whether they've had that phonics education. So, yeah, I think we really need to move on and talk about how we can best teach phonics and how phonics fits into other elements of reading as well. Definitely. What are the sort of key phonics approaches? And you know, Everyone knows synthetic phonics, but that's not the only option, is it? Uh, no, traditionally, uh, um, there's been a division between synthetic phonics and analytic phonics. Um, the idea is with analytic phonics that it's um, less systematic. So children would be still taught letter sounds and taught that words are made up of letter sounds, but there might be particular focus on recognising words by the first few letter sounds and then kind of guessing from then on. And there's also a lot more emphasis on um, things like rhyming words and looking for words that sound similar because they have the same first sound or words that sound similar because they rhyme. So you're learning about kind of different, um, different phon phonetic relationships, whereas synthetic phonics really tries to focus in on what you really need to know to sound out words, um, to, to spell those early words and read those early words. Um, so traditionally people have used quite an analytic approach and it it lends itself to mixing in lots of different um, types of lessons whereas synthetic phonics feels like quite directed and um, tight kind of form of phonics really. It's like a discrete lesson I mean most schools will teach phonics as as a, as a subject in itself I guess if you can term it that way and yeah is there any, you know, because schools will buy in programs almost always for these things, like there's some very popular ones, there's some less popular ones, there's, there's ones teachers have even developed themselves. Um, 
is there a great deal of variation between phonics pro synthetic pro phonics programs because I, I you know if we take it that synthetic phonics is the main approach in schools which which i believe it is um is there a great deal of variation between a, a jolly phonics and a ruth miskin phonics program for example um i think not compared to the kind of variability that you get in um probably in most other areas of the curriculum and in different countries so um, the government's set out a series of guidelines on what synthetic phonics programmes should include and those are quite explicit and the main programmes that people use, so the Ruth Miskin's Rewriting, uh, Floppy Phonics and Jolly Phonics and um, so on, I'm sure I'll miss some out, but the main schemes that you would use are um, have very similar kind of focus. The idea is that you introduce a few letters, um, teach kids those letters, and then start teaching them how to segment and blend using those letters. And then you introduce more letters as you, you go on. Um, one of the main differences is how many letter sound combinations are taught. So um, there's more than one sound, letters can make more than one sound and obviously there's letter combinations and so on. So there are some schemes that teach more um, rarer combinations um, and some that really focus on the most common ones. But, um, but to be honest, they, are, they have a lot of similarities, I think. Um, uh, so long as you follow the guidance in the schemes, then they're going to be similar and have quite similar outcomes. Um, in terms of how many, how much teachers follow all the guidance and all the different parts of the schemes, that's probably more variable. But I was going to um, say, actually, I mean, <laughs> if it's a, it's a bit like a conversation we're having about um, TAs, actually, with Professor Rob Webster, and he said, you know, TA-led TA inter interventions work really well once you, when you do exactly the prescription of the research yeah. done. I mean, is it similar with phonics where the 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 scheme you use isn't isn't as crucial perhaps as as following them to the letter and the research yeah. is that is that proving you know when we say research finds phonics does is the best approach or are you saying phonics done this way you have to do it a very specific way yeah i mean i think um rob webster's uh really good at pointing out the some of the differences between research and practice and what had happens in research studies is generally you say to the teachers you have to teach this in this way we want you to go through this amount of content so when we say phonics works we mean if you follow this to the letter mm. and um obviously teachers want to add their own personality and their own stamp i think the the thing with um the systematic synthetic phonics is as soon as you start going away from the manuals, it starts to be less systematic and you start to, um, it can make it less effective because it, it makes it more difficult. So um, I think one thing I was listening to your um, podcast with David Epstein about mm. learning environment, kind learning environments and wicked learning environments. Um, and I was thinking that one thing that phonics does is kind of, limit the learning environment to quite um, a kind learning environment so that you are teaching the child how to sound out words that they can sound out. Um, and when you start going off the 
scheme and um, trying out different things, you're not limiting the environment in that same kind of way. Um, and that can be counterproductive for children. So um, there's lots of places in which we do want teachers, obviously, to add their own personality and um, uh, and so on. But phonics schemes are probably not so much. It's um, it's a very structured system for a reason because it kind of creates the kind learning environment early on. I think. Do we know? Um, is there any research on how variable the phonics teaching can be in schools? I mean, the, I, I imagine the phonics screening test check is is a poor proxy to to understand variability in teaching because it's too noisy I guess with all the variables inherent in that but do yeah. we know how much variability there is in UK schools yeah um I, I don't I don't think we do really I mean I think there's some variability in terms of individual teachers um but I think the having the phonics screen and having those mandated programs means there's much less variability than there was in the past and mm. certainly much less variability than there is in most english-speaking countries and how does it work i mean with uh differentiation as well because obviously kids are going to come into reception with very different knowledge of phonics and they're, they're probably going to naturally as well as other fact environmentally move at different pace through that reception year in terms of their phonics and yeah. how how can how can we ensure that you know a child that's is taught to their stage or is it even you know should it always be whole whole class how does it work in the in the research do do you tend to take a a group and teach them as a as a whole class teaching through the process or does differentiation um, occur um well research wise i think um differentiation does show better improvements and I think that's probably again because phonics is such a systematic process before you start putting together words with four sounds you have to be able to put together words with two sounds so mm -hmm. you, you have to work at that child's individual level really and so um, phonics is one of those areas where small group teaching with um, children pushing them on from the level they're at seems to be the most effective factor. So often schools will use um, whole, whole group teaching to maybe introduce a new letter sound, um, talk about some sounds and relationships, and then we'll use the small groups to um, reinforce that and work at the level of the individual children so that the, the more able children can be using more complex words and using a wider variety of words and the less able children can be supported to do the the less complex words and everyone can move along and um one of the nice things about phonics is there is lots of research and um so we do know that those kind of having that small group does seem to move children along through the phonics system faster for all levels so okay. sometimes, as um, possibly uh, Rob Webster will have mentioned to you, sometimes the differentiation causes more individual difference in a classroom that the, the brightest kids really get on, but the weakest kids really fall behind. But actually, it seems like in phonics, all the groups do better by having 
um, a bit of differentiation. I wonder why that is. I mean, is it, are the groups more flexible, do you think? Or, you know, is it, Yeah. I don't know how, how why might it be the exception, I guess? Um, I, I think because you have to, well, I think small group work allows you to make sure that each child's engaged. So I guess um, with the younger kids with phonics, it would be quite easy for them to just not take in information and just coast kind of a bit be, yeah yeah um whereas if you've got small group you can ask each child individually because you really want to hear them speak and say the words um to know that they understand so i think small group makes allows you to be engaged with the children i think it allows you to um move each child on to their next step in terms of learning um and in comparison to individual work i think it it also allows them to see peers at a similar level um and get feedback from them and it also makes it more engaging rather i think um individual teaching can be quite daunting for for little ones and it's obviously um very labor intensive for teachers so yeah it seems like for this age group the small group is ideal does it help? I mean, it brings me on to my next question, which is, does it help as well to identify the kids who've just read widely or and been read widely to at home who may look like they're sounding out words, but actually they've just memorised the word? And then, and so they're not actually, so they're, it's not that the performance is fake, I guess, but they're not actually using the phonetic approach and they're actually sort of, you know, they're sort of, yeah, what's the best way of yeah. putting it? I don't want to say they're lying, but you know, you know <laughs> their performance yeah. looks like it's above where it might be phonetically. Yeah, certainly there are some children who come to school and know some of their favourite storybooks off by heart and it can look like they can read them, um, whereas they've actually just memorised them. And it's, um, it can be hard to tell in a, in a large group or they can be looking like they're flying through the reading. Mm. Um, and that can be difficult for parents as well. It can feel like you're making the child take a backward step by going into the phonics, but really teaching the, the phonics stages gives them a really good foundation for moving further because obviously they're not going to be able to memorize texts forever. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the small group work does help you pick that out, I think, and, and to react to the individual child. I guess that takes us to the next point is where, where, where phonics is seen as done, you know, there's this, there's yeah. this notion, isn't there of, you know, if you've hit your, if you pass your phonics screening check, I mean, is, is phonics over then? I mean, have you completed it, as they say in, in computer games world? Or, you know, at what point does phonics become less of a discrete lesson and more of a, a background um, tool, if you like it, if you like, that may yeah. be taught on the spot when necessary? The government guidance is that phonics teaching should be fast and first, and then there's not so much guidance about when phonics should stop so much um so as you say the idea is that by the end by the year one phonics screen hopefully children have that level of um phonics to be able to um read and work out simple words and non-words um and if the children fail that year one phonics screen um then you'd they should be getting some additional phonics work in year two 
but often year two and year three is when you really see a change in the characteristics of um, readers and you start to see them really being able to be a bit more independent and if their phonics teaching has worked and they've taken on that phonics teaching they're able to sound out new words for themselves and work out new words and they can and if they've got the kind of core of um, sight words as well they can read the majority of um, texts that they placed in front of them and that means that you can hopefully step back from the phonics work and start working more on things like reading comprehension but I think as you said um, the idea of having phonics in the background is a good idea so um, traditionally people have talked about when children are reading books to encourage them to use multiple cues to try and work out unknown words but we now know that phonics is the most effective way of working out unknown words and it doesn't always work but it's it's the method that children should try first so um, you, you're not necessarily teaching them explicit phonics rules in class so much but you are encouraging them to use their phonics knowledge all the time when they're reading and spelling. It's interesting about spelling is that I guess by year three year two year three we, we we're getting this we're getting a focus on spelling uh you know in all the written work and the kids are writing longer pieces mm-hmm. and there's there's some who say well phonics isn't very helpful for that you know phonics is actually detrimental when we get to that shift so i guess it's a two-pronged question is is there any truth in that firstly but also if you are continuing a phonics approach you know an active teaching approach of phonics in year two and three is that getting in the way of your teaching of spelling what I'd ideally like teachers to think about is how they transfer from a phonics focus to a focus that introduces other kinds of knowledge about words. Um, so it can sometimes be that people talk about um, phonically regular words or irregular words and well, tricky words, they're often called, mm. that there are some words you can sound out and there are some words you can't sound out and you just shouldn't uh shouldn't bother trying it seems like you should just try and remember them um and as you get to years two and three you get more and more of those words but often those words are not well they're hardly ever completely irregular normally they have some letter sounds that are correct um so you can sound out part of them often they've also um there are other characteristics that you can use to try and help you remember the spelling so um they might have uh, what we call uh, morphological structure. So, for example, um, the word mist could be spelt M-I-S-S-E-D if it's if it's a past tense, or M-I-S-T if it's a, um, a weather description. So, once you've taught children about the sound structure of speech, you need to start teaching them about the other kinds of structures that occur, the meaning structures and the grammatical structures like ed endings and i think that's really the next stage of phonics you shouldn't think that you're getting rid of phonics you're you're adding to it and expanding to it by showing showing how the system um goes beyond phonics really so not seeing phonics as a catch-all as well 
it, it yeah, seems to be what you're exactly, saying like yeah. phonics really is the you know your foundation stone and then yeah. you know that's not all you need and it shouldn't you shouldn't be viewed as i've completed reading <laughs> when you've just done phonics <laughs> there's, there's other tools there yeah yeah so it's it's a as you say it's a foundation stone other other tools build on phonics um but phonics is always going to be part of the the picture well we know that the the children who learn um and remember words best are the ones who remember the phonics connections within those words so even if you're not sounding out words recognizing them efficiently involves your phonics skills so keeping the children using their phonics skills is valuable for helping them to learn to read efficiently as well as sounding out unknown words. How does it relate to when a child will read aloud? I'm just thinking of my, my seven-year-old who seems to read quite happily on his own with you know, the age-appropriate books, um, but he'll, he'll read something out loud and you'll hear some of, the f- some of the tricky words or the irregular words you talk about, especially multi-syllable words, where, where he'll sound them more difficult. You, know, you sound them wrong, well, wrongly, but you know, incorrectly, mm-hmm. if you like and unless he unless he sounds those out to me i'll never know that that in his head he's reading them in that way is is that you know how do we guard against that i mean how do we i mean one of the things you want to talk about was how phonics relates to multi-syllable words um, yeah is that part of that process do we need to have kids reading aloud more to identify those those discrepancies yeah i think that's that's one of the reasons that it's still really useful to have those year two year three year four children reading aloud to to pick out those kinds of words because often children can learn to recognize a word and learn its meaning but they don't necessarily know how to pronounce it um uh um i think there's a whole set of rules around reading multisyllabic words which aren't taught very explicitly in um in uk schools around um so once we get to multiple syllables we tend to have a a pattern of alternating stressed and unstressed syllables um, which linguists know about and know about how that relates to the um the letters within the words but uh, i think teachers don't necessarily know about so often the things that are hardest to spell are those unstressed syllables so in words like record or despair or something that first vowel sound just is is kind of a uh, sound um and children children don't know whether it should be an e or an i or an a or or what and um part of that is because of how when we uh create multisyllabic words we change the stress in them um and so that would be something that I would like to see taught much more explicitly in schools and that kind of that goes beyond the synthetic phonics because that's looking at how word structure changes the phonics within words and the word like um indestructible like if I'm a teacher saying that with my accent and maybe a different teacher with a different accent Mm. and you know the child can read that word but how they again back to the pronunciation it's, it's quite you know working with my own children and helping them with their homework I was very conscious that my accent shifted how they might spell that word or how they might read it even like indie or indestructible 
and yeah. you suddenly find yourself breaking down words it's, it's an incredibly bizarre experience but um is there anything i mean what you're talking about those rules around um and the stressed and unstressed syllables is that is that can that cut through a bit of that noise of of accent and and pronunciation it, it can a bit yes and what with a word like indestructible um what really kind of helps you to work out the unstressed syllables is working out the, the units within the word. So with it, indestructible is a really nice example, actually, because it's got um, an in prefix and then it's got a destruct in the middle and then it's got an abel suffix. And mm. um, <laughs> so, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's, yeah. <laughs> so once you start breaking it down like that and then you can start thinking, well, destruct is related to destroy um actually that's um and so it the de sounding is um possibly slightly clearer in destroy i think the in the yeah. destroy thing was useful actually because yeah because it indestructible rather than destructible with a portsmouth accent it sounds like is and it's actually you know spelt s indestructible so i guess there's there's just being conscious of those things as a teacher and and even if you you know even if use my example again even if your teacher's got a portsmouth accent and so have the kids it's still important from a reading perspective to to have that conversation about how you've broken the word down like you just did and you know mm. that, i think that's a really useful tool yeah i mean I've, in terms of accents i think most kids are quite good at matching across different accents and kind of um working out the similarities and differences there are some words like um bath and path that are quite different and um uh, so if you're in the southern half of the country you might get children spelling it with an ar spelling and if you're in the northern um half of the country you'd be more likely to get a single a spelling um so there is some differences like that where um it can be more difficult but i think for the most part where it's just differences of degrees um children are pretty good at being quite flexible and, and working it out and if you go back to when we stop phonics now we said we, you know it's part of a, a patchwork of skills that we should always be mindful of but you know if a child is is consistently not uh progressing with a phonics approach and um at what age you know what what's the expected progress and at what age do you think okay well are there other is what else is going on here i mean phonics mm. is an identification tool if you like for different pro different issues or different challenges that child may be having yeah um absolutely if a child's not past the phonics screen then they should really be um coming to their teacher's attention as someone who uh, might need extra support in year two and if they're still having real difficulties with phonics then um, they're likely to need more individualized support and these are the children who um, tend to show a dyslexic profile or sometimes also children who've got speech and language difficulties so um, I think it's really worthwhile with those children to try and look at what particular strengths and weaknesses they have and try and work with that. 
certainly one of the downsides of um, the focus on phonics is that you get uh, older children and adults saying that people have tried to teach them phonics for years and years and um, they hate it <laughs> and yeah. no one's ever tried another approach so I think certainly you do need to um, at some point you need to think of other skills as well as phonics and often that's to do with broader language skills and trying to support um, building up vocabulary and building up knowledge in other areas and those looking at the meaning structure of words can be useful in that as well um, uh, certainly I wouldn't want um, a child who's having difficulties to just have, have to do phonics again and again um, I think it can be useful to uh, mix up with different kinds of skills and I guess I should, the, yeah, yeah I guess the illusion I was thinking of is like if you've got a if you've got a, a, a sort of an assault course um, climbing thing you have to climb over and you know you say well keep trying because eventually you're going to get over it and there's, there may be a tendency to view phonics in the same way you know this isn't reading is the obstacle and and getting over it is is, is is the phonics it's getting fitter and every child will get over it but from what you just said we shouldn't think of it like that that every child can can use phonics to hurdle the reading challenge if you like yeah um i would always say that phonics should be your first way of trying to hurdle the reading challenge but i think also um i i guess i wouldn't i wouldn't like to suggest to kids that reading is a hurdle they need to get over either i think mm. one of the nice things about phonics is that it's teaching them kind of the secret of reading it's teaching them the code that they need to use to break down the words so if they have a lot of trouble with the phonics code you need to teach them other ways to try and break down that code but you should always be trying to make it um more of a mystery to be solved than a hurdle to overcome i think if possible I think that's very nice actually that's a very nice analogy it's like a you know demystifying reading is, is, a, is a much more exciting um prospect, yeah. i guess than, than the challenge and i guess the last question I, I i'd like to ask is that that journey of phonics is it is it made more complex because most of the people who will now be well not most but i guess anyone over 30 probably wouldn't have experienced phonics themselves as a, as a way of as a way of reading or, or would have had not not as an as, as established approach is 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 it going to get easier when we have a generation who've been through it that some of these debates around phonics will stop because they won't know it they won't know any different if you like yeah i think that's absolutely true and i think um it's true with teachers and with parents at the moment that a lot of them didn't go through phonics teaching themselves so don't necessarily see the value and the positives about it or don't necessarily see how to do it most effectively mm. um and but yeah in a few years most parents will have been through phonics teaching themselves i think and um and uh perhaps most teachers um 
and I think that really will make it uh, move the debate on, as you said at the, the start, and it will make it easier for people. Um, though I do think it's interesting as an aside how much phonics people forget as well. So um, you get taught about phonics early on and even um, in year four and five children uh, have moved away from phonics being their primary way of reading and will be um, much more focused on letters than the actual sounds within the words. So um, just an example, my eight-year-old um, had a argument with me the other day about uh, the names James and George and I said James and George start with the same sound and she said she said mm, not really they sound a bit different to me but phonetically they are the same sound they're spelt <laughs> with a different letter um, but even uh, even children get quite focused on letters rather than um, the kind of phonetic sounds relatively early on. It's a good lesson for a reminder you know a refresher if you like that you know phonics doesn't go away and we yeah. should keep reminding and that you know healthy arguments with eight-year-olds are always fun right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't know you know you never win an argument with my eight-year-old so. <laughs> well thank you very much for coming on julia that was great thank you